Welcome to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. In this podcast, we go deep into mining news, hot topics, and live interviews with mining professionals and leading figures in the mining industry. Introducing your host, Rob Tyson, founder and director of Mining International and Mining International Executive, a leading global mining recruitment and headhunting agency. Hi, mining community. Welcome back to another episode of the Dig Deep, the Mining podcast. Um, And today we have a returning guest who first appeared back in April 2019, which was episode 22. Um, Michelle Ash, um, who's about to join Oz Minerals in a newly created role as a technology executive, which will involve work around digital robotics, automation, mining technology and transformation. So Michelle's on the podcast today to um, to talk about obviously this new move, but also how using robotic mining, using small uh, swarm robots to mine or blockchain to drive in uh, exploration investment, because obviously that's her specialisation, and I think our audience will be um, interested in uh, what what you've uh, what you've got to say. So that's welcome, Michelle, to the podcast. How you doing, Michelle? Yeah, uh, thanks, uh, Rob. It's fantastic to uh, to be here, and I'm I'm really looking forward to uh, some of the questions uh, and uh, and speaking to everybody in the podcast. Um, so yeah, look a little bit of my background on the fact that I can't believe it was uh, 2019 uh, when we spoke last. Um, that certainly has gone by fast. Um, so look, my my background. I've been in mining for about 30 years. Um, I started in mining in the 92, 1992. Um, Originally, I was a civil engineer, um, but uh, have worked uh, my entire career in mining as a mining engineer. Um, other than actually a couple of forays, uh, I spent three years in pulp and paper um, in business improvement, um, and I spent five years as general manager operations uh, for a petrochemical plant. Um, so a lot of these skills that we learn in mining around leadership and uh, and understanding problems, problem solving, uh, highly trans transferable into uh, into manufacturing um, but my my mining career um, have been, I've been in both operational roles um, so for example I was blasting engineer I was superintendent of a truck shop I've run processing plants um, I was the um, general manager of Yandy they called it project manager because it was a contract operation at the time um, I was general manager of bullion Hulu uh, I was chief operating officer for acacia. Um, and then also a number of strategic roles. So uh, general manager of strategy for uh, Chinaman Metals. I was uh, head of asset planning um, for BMA as well as the company secretary. Um, I was chief innovation officer uh, with Barrick. Um, and then my current role, so I've, I've been moving, sorry, before I say that, I've been moving between um, operational and strategic roles, which I really enjoy. You know, I enjoy working with people, working with teams, and that operational delivery, and and then you know I really enjoy the the option and ability to to think strategically um, as well. Um, and then my last role actually was outside of mining uh, as CEO of Geolvia in in a software company, uh, Dassault Systems, um, and uh, you know mining is our biggest client, so certainly uh, you know a lot of focus in mining, um, but also gave me an opportunity to understand. Um, some other industries such as construction, infrastructure, chemicals, uh, energy, et cetera. So, uh, so that was a, a very exciting uh, opportunity and, and fantastic team uh, at Dassault and especially the Geovia team 
um, and some uh, some great software uh, that we developed and uh, and still developing. Um, and then, you know, as you say, my uh, my next role, I start with Oz Minerals in March, um, and uh, for Oz, I'll be um, a their technology executive, um, so accountable for um, technology transformation um, and really helping uh, Oz team achieve uh, some of the things that they want to want to achieve, which um, you know I think is is very exciting uh, because you know at a very fundamental level they want to rethink mining, they want to uh, to to achieve some of their sustainability goals, uh, the reduced opex, capex. Um, that uh, can be achieved by solving problems using technology. And, and obviously, really, that means people solving those problems and then changing the way uh, that they think about mining or go about doing things. Um, and so I think, you know, a very exciting team, uh, as well as a very exciting opportunity to help transform not only Oz Minerals, but uh, but in so doing, help transform the industry. But, you know, as uh, I think I said last time, I'm exceptionally passionate about it. I, I love mining um, because mining touches every person on the planet every day, whether it's in cleaning our teeth, putting out our clothes, riding our bikes to work, driving our cars. Um, but because it touches everybody every day, it's it behest on us to fundamentally change even faster uh, our sustainability, our footprint and uh, and grow our handprint so that uh, we set the way and, and, you know, so that people you know, whether it's 8 million, whether it's billion, sorry, or whether it's 10 billion, but uh, the people on the planet can increase their standard of living, um, but not destroy the planet uh, in doing so. So uh, that's what I'm passionate about and, and very excited to uh, to be part of that. Um, yeah. And you can obviously certainly hear your passion in, uh, in that um, description that you've just given. Um, so, so what made you join Oz Minerals? Yeah, so look, I think, um, I mean, it was a very, very hard decision because uh, Deso is a fantastic company, great team with uh, Geovia. We're building some amazing products and capabilities um, that will help transform the mining industry. Um, but, you know, I think uh, two things with, with Oz. Um, I think Andrew Cole is a fantastic CEO and I was you know, exceptionally impressed with his vision around mining and and you know what he wants to achieve or what he would he'd like to help the Oz team achieve um, in terms of being a very different mining company, driving fundamentally different sustainability outcomes, um, and rethinking the way that they go about doing things and and therefore influencing the mining industry to do so. Um, and you know, similarly, when I met the executive team. Uh, as well as a number of the board members, you know, I really felt that this is the team that will be able to to achieve a lot of those um, things that you know many of us just talk about. Um, so I'm I'm very excited to be part of that journey uh, with the Oz Minerals team. Yeah, no, that's good. That's good to hear. And um, so, what are some of the problems that the use of ro- uh, robots in mining uh, are sort of trying to solve? Obviously, there's probably numerous numerous um yeah problems out there that robots could be a benefit but i suppose yeah. what are the main what are the main problems or challenges where yeah. a robot will significantly make a make a difference 
Yeah, no, look, absolutely. So, so if, if I just step back just for five seconds, um, I, I think there are five broad problems that the mining industry is trying to solve at the moment that will radically change the outcomes for the industry, for the communities, for our stakeholders, our shareholders, et cetera, our future workforce. Um, and they are an all-body knowledge, global all-body knowledge. So if we could know our all-bodies and, and potential all-bodies down to the last gram, to the last metre, we could find them 20 times as fast at half the cost. Um, so, you know, that's a, and, and that's a, a big challenge for us, but we need to be able to do that um, if we're going to help the world decarbonise because, you know, for example, there is just not enough copper um, to, to decarbonise the world. So we need to find more rapidly. Um, second is to automate and to electrify our mines, um, not only so that we can use renewable energy, we can use uh, less carbon-intensive energy, um, but also automate so that we can not only uh, have people working in significantly safer and healthier environments. I mean, I think even with the safest mines and, you know, mine safety has improved radically in the 30 years that I've been in the industry. Um, but even the safest of the mines, I think everyone has to agree that we are safer still from a health outcome perspective um, working in offices. So how do we get people and, and all of our people into office-style environments um, and have, you know, literally at the coalface um, robotic technologies? Um, the second part of automation, though, is really helping people solve problems faster, more completely, and and. Um, give them insights that we just don't have at the moment. And so, you know, the, the use of AI to give people insights to solve problems fast, um, to allow people to be more creative with the way that they uh, solve problems, I think that that is part of that whole automation um, conundrum as well. And, and in so doing, you know, again, we will radically change the safety outcomes, the health outcomes, the, um, the operating and capital costs um, because of this much more creative uh, problem solving, more collaborative problem solving. Um, the, the third is around precision extraction. Um, and so how do we, you know, in an ideal world, just extract the atoms that we are interested in, the metal atoms? Um, but, you know, more broadly, how do we take just the mineral that we're interested in and, and stop moving so much waste? Um, you know, and again, if you think, if we think about the sorts of ratios that we have, um, gold, it's around about 11 tonnes of waste to five grams of ore. Copper, it's around about nine tonnes of uh, waste to around about sort of, um, you know, depends how what, what we think the ratios are, but around about four uh, kilos of copper, um, you know, and, and so if we could stop moving all of that waste, again, it would radically change sustainability outcomes because, you know, all of the energy, the fuel, um, the, the waste dumps, the, the tailings dams radically change the health and safety outcomes um, as well as, you know, OPEX and, and CAPEX. Um, the fourth one is really around um, how do we create more symbiotic um, uh, relationships with our communities um, and distribute wealth in a different way, and especially as some of these technologies change jobs, change the face of mining, the structure of mining. You know, how do we think about um, driving value for communities and uh, and for governments? Um, and then the fourth one, uh, fifth one, sorry, 
is really around how do we rethink business models um, in order to uh, to drive some of these better outcomes and, and shift um, our thinking. And and so if I if I look at all those five problems that we have to solve, um, come back to robots and robotics. Um, I think the the key area for automation and for robots um, is those things that have a high degree. Where I'd be pointing them straight straight away is those activities that have a high degree of health and safety risk associated with them. So, um, for example, I think there's some great examples at the moment of um, an organisation that has developed a barring bot. You know, so barring, for those that don't know, um, is basically knocking the, um, the, the loose rocks off the walls and the roof um, of tunnels underground with a big, long metal stick. Um, and, you know, you can imagine that's that's you know, it has some risk associated with it that the person will get hit um, by the uh, by the rock. Um, so, you know, sorts of jobs like that. Um, there's another uh, company that has um, developed a robot that ties in blasts, um, again, to remove people um, from that activity. Um, there's another uh, robot that's been developed to um, do some of the uh, belly plate um, changing, um, which, again, you know, is, is a... Uh, something that has created a significant injury um, historically in mining. So, so I think there's a whole raft of those sorts of solutions um, that are absolutely right for uh, for robotics. Um, the second group, which is sort of related to that, is you know there are still some um, tasks that that we do in mining that again have s- significant risk associated with. So, air leak mining um, or uh, you know, even sometimes face charging, face drilling, um, you know, can we get robotics to do that? And, you know, whether that robotics be an automated, uh, you know, machine or drill um, or whether that be something that, um, uh, you know, is more discreet and, and uh, smaller, you know, a robot, uh, for example. And, you know, again, there's some great examples of um, trying to develop a a swarm of robots, so um, you know robots that have different functions, um, but also work together collectively. Um, to re- instead of having people using air legs for some of that narrow vein uh, mining, um, that the the robots go in and, and they you know slice the uh, the vein. They take that material to uh, to some sort of ore pass or ore collection point. They move the rest of the um, uh, the, the material to waste. You know they continue cutting, etc. Um, and and you know I think not only reducing health and safety risk, um, but also in those uh, that particular case, um, you can now start making some of those um, you know those ore extraction points smaller um, because you're not needing to get, you know, a whole person uh, necessarily into that area. So can we be, again, more precise with the way that we extract uh, that material? Um, and, you know, the other advantages of things like, you know, the, the robot in, with using a cutting tool um, can, um, you don't get overblast, you know, they can much more precisely, you know, remove the, the piece of material that, you um, that you're looking for. So, you know, so I think there is another uh, really good example of um, of the sorts of things that robots can do. Um, there's another category um, of things where, um, you know, it might be a highly repetitive activity um, where, you know, again, um, robots or automated technology um, can 
do the same thing in exactly the same way um, and, and drive, you know, better outcomes, either safer outcomes. Um, and, you know, we've seen this in uh, with use of autonomous trucks um, where, you know, when using autonomous trucks because they uh, follow exactly the same path every time, um, there's now a whole question around can we reduce the size of ramps um, and the multiples of ramps because, you know, as you know, um, we normally use 2.4, some, um, you know, so 2.4 times the size of your widest truck um, as the ramp width. Um, some companies use maybe even slightly higher than that. Um, and, and that 0.4 um, is, you know, basically to, to take into account, um, you know, safety, error of mar margins, et cetera. And, and so, as I said, sometimes some companies use 0.8. Um, you know, can you get that down to 2.1 um, with autonomous trucks? Um, and then what does that mean in terms of the, the reduction in the amount of waste that we move, um, the reduction in the sort of first the size of the ramps and then second the reduction in the amount of waste that we move over the lifetime of that, um, of that uh, mine? Um, you know, and again, this, a similar thing would apply for, uh, for other uses. Um, you know, there's also examples, uh, obviously, in, uh, in warehouses um, where, again, you know, you might be better off having um, a 24-hour capability um, but at a lower rate um, to, to process and to, um, to put uh, things onto shelves, to take things off, to send them to, um, you know, different parts of the mine site, for example. Um, so there's, you know, some very interesting trials in terms of, you know, what's the accuracy and the efficacy um, of, uh, of using, uh, you know, robots um, in order to, uh, to manage a warehouse, to distribute goods. Um, can you get them to uh, distribute them all the way down to, say, a driller underground? Um, you know, if you have a series of, um, of autonomous uh, or, or robotic equipment, um, does that then fundamentally change the way you can think about the mind design, uh, et cetera. So, uh, so look, I, I think there's a lot of uh, really interesting examples um, and, you know, problems that people are trying to solve um, using either robots um, or autonomous uh, technology of some, uh, some kind. Um, and, you know, and as I said, they all start touching on, on one or more of those um, key five system level uh, innovations that I think is an industry we should be trying to solve. Yes, yeah, certainly there's, there's a, a compelling argument to use obviously robots and automation in our industry. Um, mm. What are probably some of the other challenges, um, uh, some of the under, some of the other under, sorry, fun, fundamental challenges that still yeah. need to be resolved and possibly may not be obvious? Um, just wanted to yeah. around that. Yeah. So look, I mean, I think there's still you know, a, a number of um, challenges and, and, you know, there's some trials going on at the moment, um, you know, both in an underground environment and open cut environments um, to make sure that the, the robotic technologies are robust enough um, in, you know, some of these environments uh, that we find ourselves in in mining, which can be, you know, highly acidic, they can be wet, um, they can be GPS denied. Um, they can be, um, you know, obviously dark. Um, so, you know, having to navigate um, with particular 
sensors, et cetera. And, and in fact, in some of these cases, um, you know, robotic technologies, you know, with the sorts of sensors we can put on them, uh, with the sorts of metals and, and um, uh, materials that we can use, uh, are actually showing that they can stand up to these sorts of treatments. Um, uh, and, you know, and it's really interesting uh, well, I found it very interesting working with some of the robotic companies around how they think about those sorts of problems and, and that sort of problem solving. Um, and, you know, and a lot of them, interestingly enough, are, all, are also starting to think about, you know, how they might put robotic technologies, um, you know, on the moon, on Mars, so, you know, in outer space. And so, you know, what's what's interesting is is to watch them think about how do you reduce maintenance? You know, what happens if if something does go wrong, how do you extract um, that robot? How does it, uh, you know, how do you keep it as robust as possible? Um, so, you know, I think a number of those problems that they're, they're working through um, and, and, you know, in fact, then set them up for success if they do, uh, you know, take these technologies, um, you know, off the Earth's surface and uh, in, into, uh, uh, into space of some kind um, because, you know, with all, even with the, the remote challenges we have in uh, in mining, and even with the um, the the very um, challenging environments that we find ourselves in, of you know, as I said, humidity, acidity, etc., um, it's still immeasurably easier to uh, to pull a robot out of a even two two thousand kilometer down mine. Um, there's also a two thousand meter uh, down mine um, than uh, than it is uh, from the moon or to Mars. Um, so so certainly it. You know, one of the groups of problems is around or challenges is around the environment um, and making sure they're robust for the environment. Um, the second group of challenges is really around, um, you know, well, a they can only really be used when you have communications uh, in the mine, and so you know, as mines, um, communications becomes a it should always have been a backbone um, of our industry. Um, but, you know, many of us uh, have worked in mines where you might have to walk 200 metres to even get radio uh, reception, um, let alone, you know, having 4G or, you know, it's high-speed data communications um, in the mine. Uh, and so, you know, that is one of the, the, the challenges is how do we upgrade the communication systems? Uh, how do we make sure that not only the robots but people uh, are able to, uh, to use data to, to send and receive uh, information data, et cetera, uh, in our minds. Yeah. Um, that one, I think, is is pretty much solved. It's really a matter, though, of mining companies uh, embracing some of that technology. Um, and then, you know, I think there, there is also then a raft of um, challenges that are around how do the robots interact with people? Um, so if you are going to have, uh, which, you know, initially all of us are going to have anyway, is a environment where you're using robots as well as people, um, maybe even sharing uh, environments. And you know, again, we're, we're working through this with automated equipment, which is just a you know a form of robotic equipment. Um, you know, how how do we make sure that people are safe? That the the robots or the autonomous equipment um, will make the appropriate decisions um, will stop uh, when, um, you know, when a person might be coming within their, um, their line of movement or, um, you know, when they have a major fault um, will shut down and, and then um, seek, uh, seek help. 
Um, you know, and I think so. There's I think there's a whole raft of how do we have co um, habited areas, you know, so how do people and robots work together? And, you know, interestingly, we can, I think, look to manufacturing industry um, where, you know, manufacturing has been integrating people's activities and robotic activities uh, for some time, maybe not um, in a highly mobile way. So I think that's an additional challenge uh, for mining that we need to think about. Um, and then, you know, there's those raft of challenges around um what does it mean for people who are doing the roles that now are going to be done, um, you know, by uh, by robots? So, you know, if we go back to the example of the barring bot, you know, so the person who now who does the barring, that there's two conundrums. There is one: how do they now interact with this barring bot? Um, let's just say they're a, a you know a driller that's going to come in next and, and do some drilling. Um, so how do we work through that system of work so it's efficient and effective? Um, but then, you know, let's just say that, that there was somebody whose their whole job was barring, um, as there is their whole job is driving trucks, et cetera. Um, now there are no truck driving jobs um, because we've automated that. What does that mean for those individuals? Um, and, you know, for me here, there's a lot of pivoting of, of roles, you know, so whilst um, you know, I know there's this constant debate around, um, you know, will use of autonomous equipment or robots, will it lead to more jobs? Will it lead to less jobs? You know, I, I personally ultimately believe it will lead to more jobs because it will help grow GDP. It will help um, mines become more productive, which means and efficient and effective, safer, uh, which means we will have more mines, more ore will become economic, et cetera. We'll have more materials. Um, so, you know, ultimately, in my mind, it leads to more jobs, um, but, but they are different jobs, you know, so we no longer have truck drivers, for example, but now we have more people that need to maintain robots, more people that need to manufacture the robots, more people that need to train the robots, um, more people that mo- need to monitor what those robots are doing or what that autonomous equipment is doing um, and then optimise that um, and, and do that creative thinking, um, you know, and, and, you know, as I said, there becomes more mines, more ore, et cetera, so, you know, ultimately leading to more jobs. But, but the jobs are different. And so, you know, I think at a very fundamental level, we need to start pivoting our thinking um, as an industry as individuals who work in the industry, um, as well as even, you know, back into the education system around what are the sorts of skills that we're going to need into the future, you know, and whether that future is is next week or whether that future is in 10 years' time, um, and how do we start pivoting towards that? You know, how do we start retraining people? Um, how do we start upskilling people? Um, how do we start uh, in schools generating, you know, more people with, um, you know, STEM capabilities, let's say, um, because, you know, a lot of the world that I'm describing, um, you know, there's still an underlying at least base of STEM, uh, even if, um, you know, even if we're not all going to be masters and PhDs by any uh, stretch of the imagination. Um, but, you know, so, some basics in science and basics in computer science, um, et cetera, um, you know, become, I think, more important, you know, even down to some of the practical um, trades, et cetera, you know, as we electrify and, and automate and have, uh, you know, more robots, 
um, you know, we'll have more HV work, for example. Uh, we'll mostly have more welding work. Um, so those high-end welders, HV operators, um, you know, let's start training people into those roles because um, some of those are, uh, you know, a challenge um, to uh, to get hold of even now, uh, let alone, you know, when some of these technologies become, um, you know, significantly more uh, available uh, within our industry or utilised within our industry. Yep. I've just uh, I've just made a note um, around, obviously, upskilling yep. staff. Um, yeah. Where will they get this training? Um, yep. Are you seeing companies or even institutions start to implement certain trainings or courses ready for this yeah. new transition into this new technology world. I mean, for instance, if, if there is some truck drivers listening to this podcast, where yeah. what will what what could they be doing now to move their careers forward if their if their career as a truck driver is going to be hmm. ending, what could they be yeah. doing now to possibly moving uh, move forward and transition to this new technology type of uh, environment i think there's actually been a lot um and, and when i say things but at the governmental level um at the university level and at the tafe level um in the last sort of five years where really the last two or three years most um most importantly um there's been a lot more uh, emphasis put, you know, in universities and TAFEs. So, you know, universities, if you want to do some sort of bachelor's or um, master's or, or those sorts of things um, in some of these, you know, whether it be robotics or computer science or, you know, mechatronics or, um, you know, uh, electrical, electronic, et cetera. Um, but also at the TAFE level, um, you know, for those of us that are more practical and tangible um, and, you know, want to get more into the, well, how do you actually like build um, or maintain some of these robots. How do you, um, you know, and, and, and you know, there is a number of courses now available for people um, to to get access to, both physically. Um, so you know, at local TAFEs, at local universities, uh, you know, of course, COVID restrictions um, willing, but um, but also now, what's really exciting is virtually. Um, so you know, you can go online now and do a number of. Uh, courses in you know in preliminary um, uh, you know technology topics um, f- absolutely free of, of charge you can you can learn a lot about it um, the only time some of the online courses actually charge you is if you want the formal certification um, to say that you have passed that course now of course there's some advantages in doing that potentially um, but there's a wealth of information and a wealth of um, you know education that people can can have um, you know online um, both and again both in terms of um, some of those tangible practical things you know how to um, how to build how to maintain how to train um, some of these things uh, as well as some of the more uh, esoteric, you know, so about coding, um, about, uh, you know, as I said, some of the engineering disciplines, et cetera. Um, so, you know, I think there's a lot that people can do right now um, to um, to take, you know, that matters into their own hands as such and, you know, build their own skill base and their own capabilities. Um, on, on top of that, um, you know, I think mining companies more and more are realising that having people with, the mining background, so whether that background is, is truck driving or drilling or blasting engineering or, 
you know, mine engineering or geology, you know, whatever the background is, and, and that practical experience, having that as well as some of the uh, capabilities in these technologies, um, having those two things is really valuable. So um, there are a lot of mining companies that are offering um, to their employees courses um, or the opportunity to take courses um, both within the mining company framework as well as um, you know outside um, to again upskill and to um, to to grow. Um, you know, so example for example, Barrick um, uh, worked with the Elco Community TAFE um, to you know create again a, a number of programs uh, for their em- employees um, so that they could start uh, some of this sort of training. Um, some do it in house. Um, you know, I, I know a number of uh, mining companies now have started doing in house training uh, for you know things like Python, for example, which is a, a programming language uh, for for people that are interested. Um, so I think there's there's a wealth of things outside the company inside the companies. And, and I think more and more, you know, it, mining companies are also, whether it through be through minerals councils, whether it be through, you know, other uh, bodies and institutions or even just their own uh, collaboration coming together, um, also starting to influence um, and, you know, some of that is evidenced by the courses and the change in the courses, um, but influencing TAFEs, universities, sometimes even se- um, the setup of um, more independent um, training uh, providers. Um, but And I think now starting to focus in on, on schools um, and to, to really, um, you know, help us all think about uh, the sorts of um uh, you know, curriculum uh, maybe that, uh, the, and, and I know a number of governments are very interested in this as well. Like the Canadian government, for example, it was re- recently done a review of their um, school curriculums and, and the sorts of things that, um, you know, should be included in school curriculums. Um, I believe the Australian government is either just done or about to do, or, or one of, sorry, it's a state by state thing in, in Australia, but uh, a couple of states have done a, a similar thing. Um, so you know, I think there's there's that, um, and then the the other thing that's been really interesting. Um, so there are now sometimes in in some um, countries anyway, uh, some uh, private not for profits um, that are really targeting specific skills, um, and in some cases in specific groups that are disadvantaged and and so sometimes that can be first nations or indigenous groups um sometimes it can be um you know girls or women uh you know other times it can be you know all sorts of different groups um but you know i know of one that i was um of part of uh, called um uh hacker girls um and that particular um not-for-profit uh what they had recognized is that um something like 97% of the computer science coding graduates um, were men. Um, and so they wanted to try to help reshift that uh, that imbalance uh, for two reasons. One, it meant that most, um, most uh, software-related technology businesses, especially startups, were, were headed by men and they felt that, that um, you know, it would be helpful to have more women and, and just different perspectives um, in those sorts of uh, career choices. And then secondly, um, that a lot of the software in, in the gaming side of things anyway um, is actually bought by women and used by women but yet um, developed by men. And, and so, uh, you know, again, maybe 
that industry could uh, could help with some diversity uh, or could be helped by having diversity. And so what their whole thing was, was targeting uh, girls between the age of 8 and 12 um, and developing their coding skills and getting them involved in hackathons and that whole mentoring process uh, to do that, um, to, again, try to influence uh, young girls to not only not think but know that um, computer science or or coding is something that uh, could potentially be in their future um, but also um, you know just give them some confidence uh, that uh, that you know they, they can uh, make those sort of career choices uh, should they wish to um, but yeah so there's there's I think there's lots of things available uh, both for your families you know people who are listening for yourselves um, or you know or for for mates that you know uh, that uh, that might be uh, wanting to uh, to develop uh, their skill sets um, and and you know that applies to all of us even I had to upgrade my skills because uh, you know five or six or seven years ago I didn't know anything about you know artificial intelligence blockchain robotics uh, you know any of these technologies um, yet uh, you know so I had to go back and not only read some books but uh, do some courses online um, speak to a lot of people um, and uh, and you know so I think all of us uh, are going to need to upgrade our skills uh, no matter uh, you know what your background um, it has been yeah, certainly. And that's good to hear being obviously myself in the recruitment and career space. So um, yeah. I mean, everyone in whatever industry you're in and whatever whatever level of role that you're doing or playing, um, you always need to add additional skills and improve your skills. And th- But this, I suppose, this is just slightly different with this new technology yeah. in that um, the, skills, uh, the skills that we learn are pretty new to the globe yes globe really so but it's just making that transition um yeah how how quickly is is the industry adapting to all these new advances in technology as a whole Mm. whether it's robots whether it's ai um and what reservations may they have Mm. yeah so so, uh, it is fast and um innovation officer for Barrick. In fact, it might have been seven years ago now. Um, you know, and, and at that time, I know I used to uh, I used to make a joke that uh, the mining industry was one of the least digitised industries, um, and in fact, uh, toilet cleaning services uh, was more digitised than mining, uh, which in fact it was at the time. Um, you know, and, and I think now that that can't be said. I think mining really has started embracing. Uh, digital technologies and and digitizing. So the difference, so digitizing is really um, taking some of the processes that we used to do in paper, on paper, um, and literally putting them onto computers. So, you know, rather than having maintenance forms now, we, you know, we might fill in something on an iPad as we do that maintenance activity. So it's it's immediately digitized. Or, you know, in geology, we used to have core sitting in a core yard and somebody would come and, you know, draw on a piece of paper the um, and, and log it, et cetera. Um, now we scan it straight away. Um, and so we have it in a digital format, uh, both in terms of pictorial as well as, um, you know, in two-dimensional sort of uh, graphic format. Um, so, so we had, um, you know, especially people uh, not wanting to relinquish control, you know, worried about, um, 
you know, the computer not giving them the right advice or not, um, you know, maybe doing something that they're not aware of or understanding. Um, in some cases, it's finding the right problem to solve um, with that particular technology that, that will give the most value and uplift. Um, so, I, I, you know, I think we're, we're starting to see some of that. And, and now we're starting to see, um, you know, autonomous equipment becoming more common, uh, you know, still not the average mind, but more common. Um, robotic equipment, I think, is at very early stage. Um, blockchain technologies at a very early stage. Um, at, but I think, you know, the two, well, there's three big things for us to think about as an, as an industry. Um, you know, one is one of those key problems that we're trying to solve, because I think the, the risk with our industry, and I, I see it a little bit already, is that we're grabbing technology and then finding a problem to to solve with it. Um, and, and that can be a really costly way of going about it rather than saying, what's the, what's the major problem that I want to solve that's going to give us a huge value uplift or a huge, um, you know, safety improvement, et cetera. And then let me find the right technology to solve that problem for us, to help us solve that problem. Um, and so I think flipping from focusing on technology to focusing on the problem um, will be will be really important for the speed at which we will uptake going forward. Um, I think secondly, focusing as a mining company on the implementation of that technology and getting our people to use that technology to solve that problem, to change their behaviour, to do things differently, and, and maybe even think about how we fundamentally do things differently. So, you know, rather than just replacing a diesel truck with an electric truck, um, why don't we think about whether we need a truck at all? And, and you know, how do, we, how do we convey material, which is what we're really trying to do? And, and then what's the best way to convey material, um, you know, from, from wherever you want to go to wherever it needs to be um, to meet the, the targets that we've got? So reduced um, carbon, reduced OPEX, reduced CAPEX, et cetera. You know, how do we solve that problem? Um, and then, you know, once we've solved that problem, how do we get people to do things differently? And so I think if, if mining companies really focus on the how do we get people to implement this technology efficiently, effectively, fast, change the way they do things as fast as possible, and then, you know, get the partner with technology companies um, and, and get them working on the technology and optimise and improve the technology um, you know, I think that's a, a really good way to, to think about the different roles. Um, I think the, the third uh, challenge that we have is one of the things I do see at the moment is, you know, even when organisations are using these technologies and they've got a number of examples uh, within their organisation, they're struggling to connect all of those problems together and all, all of those examples together and, and to solve a system-level problem. Um, you know, rather than just a point solution problem or using just a series of proof of concepts. Um, so I think, you know, thinking about these system level changes, system level problems, system level innovations um, is going to be important to, again, uh, moving forward. And then I think the last one is really rethinking how we think about risk. So I think one of the things that is slowing mining companies down from solving these problems in a different way with technology is the perception of risk. Um, and I think they, we often, as an industry, we assign zero risk 
to the way we are currently doing things because we understand it, we know it, you know, it, it, therefore it, it can't be risky. Um, and we apply risk to those things that we want to do that is different. Um, and, and I think that is both erroneous. Um, so, you know, for example, buying diesel trucks today, I think we none of us can think that that can have zero risk, you know, especially with the amount that investors, communities, our workforce, the public at large is demanding a reduction in carbon um, as being, you know, part of our industry, part of all of our sort of uh, thinking. Um, so, you know, I think it, it can't be that it has zero risk, eh? Um, but then, you know, I think it's also uh, thinking around, you know, not only what is the risk of this new technology, um, you know, so if we're talking about battery electric vehicles, just to, to give the flip side of that, um, you know, what are the real risks? And, and not to elevate those just because we haven't uh, necessarily had personal experience. And then, you know, I think one of the ways to reduce risk um, is to use virtual twins and, and, you know, virtual twin experiences even more. And so what I mean by virtual twin is not a two-dimensional, you know, replica of what happens in, in you know, a mine, let's say, um, but actually developing a four-dimensional, so three-dimensional and time simulation um, that people can run and experience and understand around how is that change going to change my mind? How is it going to change the way we go about doing things? How is it going to change some of the metrics? What does that look like over time? Um, not only so that us technical people can understand and we can run simulations and multiple options and make ourselves feel comfortable that this will work under different operational scenarios and, and you know, be much more confident, um, but also so that we can communicate effectively that to boards, to governments, to communities, to those people who are not technically uh, as capable as we might be. Um, and I, I think, you know, that will speed up the rate of innovation in mining, the rate of uh, acceptance of these digital technologies. Um, it, it, if we can really focus on those four things and especially on the virtual twin experiences. Yeah, I've got two more questions. So um, what else do you see mining companies needing to do to help them transition um, into this new uh, or more advanced technology world or new era? Uh, era? Yeah. Um, and I suppose focus on sort of medium and smaller companies. Obviously, larger companies yeah. have more investment, more resources to implement changes quicker. Um, but yeah. for the smaller and medium type organisations, um, yeah. what, do you, what do you see them needing to do? Yeah, so for, so for the smaller and medium-sized um, organisations, in fact, I think the medium ones are the ones that are in the prime seats. Um, you know, the big ones sometimes can have the cash, have the will, but, you know, it's, it's like turning the Titanic, um, whereas, you know, the small ones sometimes don't have enough resources um, to be able to even devote attention sometimes, let alone um, capital investment uh, into some of these technologies. Um, and it, it's the medium-sized companies that have sort of both. You know, they have the, at least some capability to invest um, and, uh, and their ability to pivot um, can often be, you know, significantly faster. Um, so I, I think from a, a medium-sized mining company uh, perspective, Focusing on what are those things that are going to drive the most value 
um, those problems, you know, what are the high value problems? Um, and then looking to use technologies um, that aren't necessarily new to the world, um, you know, let them let some of the bigger mining companies sort of work on some of those new to the world technologies um, and, and try to sort through uh, making those technologies more robust or making them more applicable for mining, et cetera. Um, for the medium-sized companies, I would use a lot of the technologies that are already available but in new and interesting and novel ways to solve problems that you've got. Um, maybe even, you know, technologies that are available in other industries um, where your contribution to, to, you know, bringing these uh, technologies on uh, is to make them more applicable for mining. So at least you don't have the technology risk. It's really around how do you make this applicable for mining. Um, so, so high value um, problems that you're solving and then solve them with, you know, technologies that, that aren't new to the world, but you might have to make them new to mining. Um, do it in a collaborative way. So, again, the more mining companies that can, um, you know, focus on this problem because it's high value, work with these particular suppliers to get the technology right, et cetera, the cheaper that technology is um, because, you know, you've just got a greater pool of, of companies and and that are contributing to its development, you've got a greater pool of, of uh, companies that are then purchasing um, that particular solution. And so, the, you know, the price of that solution comes down. You know, as we've seen with, um, uh, you know, with solar, for example, you know, solar 10 years ago uh, is uh, was significantly expensive, uh, more expensive than it is now. In fact, it's got a different, it's another zero on the, uh, not a couple of zeros on the end um, of the cost. Um, for, for smaller mining companies, um, you know, again, it, it's it's similar advice, um, but also I think for the smaller mining companies, especially if you are um, pre-mining, you know, so you're now in project phase, um, I would really be thinking hard about how you make some of these technologies work for your operations um, because I think it really will set your... So, you know, again, it's not going to cost you a lot to, to, to be more cerebral about the solution set, to come up with, um, you know, with different ways of going about doing things um, because I think it will set your operation up for higher value and more success going forward, uh, both in terms of bringing your op cost down um, but also, uh, you know, potentially higher purchase price, uh, you know, at the time of, um, you know, as most small mining companies uh, ultimately become uh, bought by by medium-sized or, or larger mining companies. Um, you know, if, if you've got a fully electric mine, uh, at some point in the future, that's going to be a lot more valuable uh, than a fully diesel mine, for example. Um, so, so I think, you know, different problems, but, but focus on the high-value problems, focus on technologies that are already available. With the smaller ones, I'd focus on technologies that are not only already available, but have been tried in mining, you know, maybe by some of those medium-sized mining companies or, um, you know, maybe the bigger mining companies um, and, uh, and implement some of those um, and, and leave the, you know, the bigger mining companies to, uh, to be more experimental maybe uh, with, with very new-to-the-world uh, technologies. Yeah, that's uh, great advice. Um, and lastly, what are the next key steps and future outlook for using robots in mining? Yeah, so look, I, I think, um, you know, again, a lot of it is is uh, what we've spoken about. So, um, you know, I think it's it's making uh, the, the robots 
um, more robust, though, you know, I think the, the ones that I've seen in trial are actually, pre- they've been, um, I think, sensational in dealing with acidic environments, with rocky environments, with humid environments, with high temperature environments, et cetera. Um, the, the second is really um, getting more mining companies to understand the capability of those um, those robots and, and uh, work together. Um, because again, you know, at, at the moment, um, you know, the robots uh, that I've seen in production, um, they're not as expensive as they used to be. I mean, it used to be $2 million a robot, um, you know, back about 10 years ago. Um, they're now sitting, you know, in, in the hundreds of thousands, uh, but that's still uh, pretty expensive. Um, but again, because at the moment there's still not the, um, the supply draw. Um, but I think once mining companies come together and they, they see the capability of these, uh, these robots and then, you know, look to um, solve those same problems in their own uh, mines, then, of course, that will drive the cost um, of these robotic technologies uh, down. So I think, you know, there's some challenges. There's, there's the challenge of, of retraining your workforce, absolutely. There's the, there's the challenge of even working with governments because, um, you know, again, uh, one of the, the companies, um, robotic companies that, uh, that I know of, um, you know, they've been working with the, the local government um, to try to build some of those robots, um, you know, close to where those robots are going to be used. So actually building an industry uh, within that country because they're designed in one country and have previously been built uh, in that same country. Uh, but now looking to, um, to to build them uh, closer to the operation. Now, the advantages of that, of course, is not only jobs, high-skilled um, jobs, um, you know, taxation revenue for the country that we're talking about, um, but also, you know, much better for the environment because you're not having to, you know, bring parts from, you know, into one country, then bring whole units from that one country into another country. Um, you can, you know, bring parts and componentry, et cetera, directly into the, the country that it's going to be used in. And so, uh, you know, I think a win-win uh, all up. Michelle, really appreciate your time and uh, give us, some, give us some, uh, an insight to what is happening in the world of technology, obviously using robots and AI and what the industry has to look forward to in the future. Um, and especially uh, recording this on a uh, public holiday in Australia. <laughs> really, really Thanks. appreciate your time. If our audience wants to reach out to you, if they've got any questions uh, that they may want to ask you, um, how can they go about doing that? And social media platforms, which ones are you on? Yeah. So apologies for my dogs in the background. Yeah, no, that's all right. That's fine. The, the, the one challenge with COVID, everybody, is that my dog now knows when I say that word beginning with T and ending with you that I'm finishing and she'll get her ball thrown and so she's learnt to bark at that uh, command <laughs> now. So apologies. But, um, yeah, look, so it, just reach out to me on LinkedIn. Um, you know, either uh, try to, you know, press the connect um, or um, or send me a message uh, and uh, and I'll respond straight away. I'd love to, uh, to speak to any of your uh, podcast listeners uh, much much more about either what they're trying to do what their company's trying to do um, some challenges that they're facing some concerns that they've got um, or just any other question on uh, on mining technology and 
and the universe as we know it. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, and those that are listening, I hope you enjoyed that episode because obviously technology is coming increasingly more into our into our workplace and into our careers and even um, socially as well. Um, and there's certainly a lot of advantages of using technology and it's just understanding them and, and I suppose having the, the confidence to try some of these technologies. So um, please reach out to uh, Michelle if you have any, uh, if you have any questions um, and yeah, the audience appreciate if you can pass, pass this um, podcast, make people aware in the industry uh, of this episode. Cause I think it's, I think it's important um, and it's our future. So appreciate your continued listening. Um, appreciate your uh, continued support as well. Please keep, Telling, telling others about this podcast, um, others in the industry. Um, I really appreciate your help. So until next time, happy mining. Thank you for listening. Remember to reach out to Rob via the show notes and be sure to subscribe and leave a review. Until next time, happy mining, helping each other to improve the mining industry.